Welcome to Costa Mesa Now. I'm Mayor John Stevens, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our podcast, where we discuss a range of topics important to the residents of Costa Mesa. I'm very excited to be co-hosting our second episode with longtime Costa Mesa resident and City Council member Lauren Gameros, who represents District 2. Our guests today are Costa Mesa Fire Chief Dan Stefano and our newly appointed Police Chief Ron Lawrence. Fire Chief Stefano took the helm at Costa Mesa Fire and Rescue in 2013 and for the past year has served as president of the California Fire Chiefs Association. Chief Lawrence was appointed as Chief of the Costa Mesa Police Department in September 2021. And while he is new to us here in the city, he has an impressive law enforcement resume. Chief Lawrence comes to us from Citrus Heights, California, where he was Chief of Police. Like Fire Chief Stefano, Chief Lawrence has been recognized statewide by his peers, serving as President of California Police Chiefs Association. Behind the leadership of these two great chiefs, along with the support of our city council and executive leadership team, we are truly blessed to live in a community that prioritizes public safety. Together with Councilmember Gameros, I look forward to introducing our chiefs to you in this episode and learning a little bit more about their personal backgrounds, their professional experience, and their ongoing plans for keeping our community safe. So join us as we dive into public safety and, of course, have a little fun along the way as we begin this episode of Costa Mesa Now. Hello, everybody. This is the second volume of Costa Mesa Now, our podcast. And so here to set the scene, it's just a couple of hours before the Dodger-Giants game. And so when you uh, view this podcast, you'll know who won that game, but we don't know here as we sit here. And we're at the beautiful Norma Herzog Community Center. So Chief Lawrence, what was the first question I asked you? Are you a what? You asked me if I was a Dodgers fan. No, a Giants fan. A Giants fan. Because you're from, you're from Northern California. You That's spent right. your whole life in Northern California. Are you a Giants fan, are you a Dodger fan, or, or are you neither? Well, now, as a, a public official, I will say it depends. What does it depend on? It, it depends on uh, where I'm at at the moment. So uh, I have to tell you, I'm apolitical. So as a police chief, I don't pick sides. Okay. I, I okay. support everybody. And so, and that, and that goes to sports teams as well. It goes to sports teams as well. Okay. All right. Well, then I won't ask you if you're a Estancia Eagles or a Costa Mesa Mustangs. <laughs> exactly. Now that's political. That's <laughs> political. So, as I said, we're here with my co-host Lauren Gameros, in who's a newly elected council member in District Two. Some of the listeners might not even know where District Two is. Where's District Two? So District Two falls pretty much down Baker. If you go up Harbor come back across down to South Coast Plaza along uh, South Coast Drive there and then come right back down Bristol and that pretty much encompasses most of where District 2 is. So you're my council member because my office is in District 2. That's correct. And so if I have any complaints I'll, I always go to you. Just right? take a number. Yeah. I'll get yeah. to you. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, uh, tell us about your where where'd you grow up? Let's start there. So I grew up in Costa Mesa most of my life. I came here in the fourth grade. Um, we did move for a short period of time, but I ended up coming back. So between my fourth grade and here, I got about 40 years 
of time invested. That's here. a good long time. You know what? Yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. I moved a couple of times, but I always came back because I really love this community. And when you were a child, you actually lived for a time in District 2, right off of Baker, right? You know what? This is pretty much the only place I've lived was District 2. I haven't yeah. really moved too far out of this area. I did live a, a, just for a short while um, out of the district, but I ended up coming. It's odd that I lived here most of my life, yeah. So tell us about your family. So I'm married. I have two children, and both of my kids go to school. I have a, a six-year-old and a 15-year-old, okay. and my wife uh, works at the uh, pet center there where we do pet adoptions for priceless pets. All right, good. That's a great place. Everybody should go there. Priceless pets. Adopt or foster a pet. Or, yep. Or, hey, so um, what made you decide to be a council member? You know, I've spent so much time in this community as a volunteer with baseball and youth sports. My wife and I were also volunteers for Priceless Pets for quite a while. And I just thought it was a wonderful time to give back to the community. I felt like I had a lot to offer and I really wanted to make sure I had just a small say in what was going to go on say in the short time future. Well, you're doing a great job. Is it Thanks. everything you hoped it would be? You know, it, it is and then some. Um, I'm really glad I had this opportunity. I don't think it would have came to me any other time than when it did, so I'm glad I yeah. took it. Other than working with the mayor, what's your favorite part of being on council? <laughs> you know, um, I've made some really, really great friends. I've got to know some wonderful people in our community. It's really great to see so many people come together that really care about what happens here. And I'm really happy that I've had an opportunity now to extend some of what I know and my talents to others to hopefully help, you know, grow some seeds in the future. That sounds great. That sounds great. All right. Well, you're my co-host, so I want to make sure you ask your fair share of questions. Definitely. But we have these two great chiefs here, and uh, I'm dying to talk to Chief Lawrence because um, people in the community... Uh, probably don't know a whole lot about you. You're a blank slate because you just started with the city. When did you start as our chief? I was sworn in on September 8th. Actually, the council meeting is September 7th, the evening of the 7th. So became okay. your police chief on the 8th. So you've been here just for about a month? About a month, that's right. So what do you think about Costa Mesa after a month? What's your one month report card? Oh, what a great city. This is an incredible city with great people. And I'll tell you, it stands out from other communities because it's vibrant, it's alive. There's, yeah. uh, uh, there's a sense of activity here that's just unique and special. And yeah. it's, that part's exciting to me. So now you told me that you grew up on a rice farm. What was that like? Yeah, I did grow up on a rice farm. Uh, not a lot of people know this, but Northern California is one of the world's largest producers of rice, or at least it was when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of hard work. My folks, uh, we had about 500 acres of rice, and uh, it was uh, seasonal, but we were, after school and before school, we were out doing chores and working on the farm. So police work was never in my purview growing up. I thought I was destined to be a rice farmer. So, so what did you do on the farm? I mean, what does it entail to farm rice? Well, in the spring, you've got to disc the land or plow the, the ground, and then you've got to uh, plant the seeds. Um, you get to flood the, the acreage. You've probably seen um, the, the raised uh, areas of dirt that's sometimes crooked, sometimes they're straight. Well, the yeah. crooked, that follows the contours of the ground so that when you flood the rice ground, the, the water levels can remain consistent. And um, part of that really is a science, and part of it's an art. You've got to be able to regulate the, the rice correctly. And then through the summer, you're growing the rice. And in the fall, you get rid of the water and you harvest somewhere around October, November, hopefully before the rains come. 
So what city was that, that you, where you had your rice farm? Well, we were in Setter County. So uh, the town was called Pleasant Grove, uh, East Nicholas. It was Setter yeah. County, though. Yeah. Okay, cool. So then how do you go from, or, or how do you go from being a, a rice farmer or, a, or a, a, I guess, a junior rice farmer to a police officer? What was that transition like? Well, you know, I I'm, I'm, was never one of those people that grew up wanting to be a police officer. That wasn't um, something I, I knew about. Because where I grew up, it was so rural, we had a resident deputy. In fact, I remember his name was Phil Morrison. I went to school with this kid, Spencer. And no one ever said, hey, go call 911 or go call the sheriff. They always said, go call Phil. Go call Morrison. And uh, to me, that was such an intimate thing because he knew the community. He was our friend. He was our neighbor. Everybody knew Phil Morrison. He knew, they knew you could call him and he would come to help. And so I grew up with that framework of policing. Policing was that officer you could call that would help no matter what, by name, not by title. And uh, for me, growing up, when I got out of high school, I, I just kind of stumbled on police work and ended up uh, with the Sacramento Sheriff's Academy, put myself to the academy, and um, I've loved the job because it's all about people. Yeah, and then, uh, and so then you stayed up in Northern California until just recently. So when you got out of the academy, what was your first job out of the academy? Well, I started with Sacramento County Sheriff's Department and then uh, 20 years old and ultimately became a deputy with Placer County Sheriff's Department and several agencies in Northern California throughout the 90s and uh, early 2000s and been a police chief now for a little over 10 years with this is my third city as a police chief and uh, come March be 32 years total. So uh, and I just I love the job. I love the job because it's about helping people. It's just like in, in government with our city council members, our fire chief. It's about uh, taking our community and making it better than we found it. And uh, that's what I love doing. Yeah, so 32 years. So I've been in Costa Mesa 32 years. I've been a lawyer for 32 years. So we have, we have that number in common. Um, so then, okay, so then you go, and you, your second uh, uh, department was Rockland, right? Was that your second? You, your second? That was the first time you were the chief. That was the first time I was a chief. So, yeah. did you work your way up through the ranks at Rockland, or were you hired in as a chief? No, I came to Rockland as a captain, and then ultimately okay. made chief. Before Rockland, I was in Palo Alto, which is uh, between San Francisco and San Jose on the peninsula there as a lieutenant. And most of my career was through the '90s in a, a city called West Sacramento, which as the name would infer, is west of Sacramento. Right, right. Uh, but uh, West Sacramento was a great, great town. Uh, loved working there, and that's where I did my patrol time. I was a motorcycle officer and promoted to sergeant and worked patrol and did internal affairs for a while, so had a good experience. And there's a lot of rice farms in West Sacramento, right? I mean, isn't that right over the... Uh, see, now I went to UC Davis Law School, and so we used to have to travel over the causeway yeah. there between Yolo County and Sacramento. and. And uh, you, you back me up with the listeners. There's all kinds of rice farm, rice farms underneath the causeway. That's right. And so that that goes right into West Sacramento, right? It does, right through, and then past even over to Davis. So Yolo County is another big area for rice farming. Well, yeah. a lot of Northern California has a lot of rice. Yeah, I I love Davis. I call that the Davis Law School the Yale of Yolo County. So, <laughs> I it was it was really good to me. But then I came down here after right after that. So that's great. So how did it, what, how, what was the transition of you <clears throat> deciding, okay, you want to go from being a, a, a 
police officer and motor patrol or whatever to kind of getting into that path to become a police chief? You know, I, I think that when we look at cultures and organizations and you want to make it the best it can be, uh, it really comes down to leadership and, and knowing that innately if you've got something that you can provide or help and create an environment where people can be their best, uh, that was really the driving factor for me. And I think you can learn as much from uh, bad leadership as you can good leadership. And of course, in almost 32 years, I've seen both. Mm -hmm. And I always told myself when if I progressed up and I promoted, I wanted to create an environment where people could come to work, they would feel empowered and trusted to do their job, that they had a passion for serving people, for serving a community, and that they really had an empathy for making our communities better. And that's, that's what uh, I've been driven to do. So my pathway to be a police chief is really about creating that environment. And in today's era, really, it's more important than ever because my profession's at a, a point in time where we're needing to kind of reinvent ourselves and kind of reimagine what policing is. Uh, I mean, we, of course, uh, defend the Constitution and, and the rule of law, but at the same time, um, there's a big community effort there, community policing piece that ha it's related to trust. And it really comes down to conversations like this, where we can right. talk and you can know me, not as Officer Ron, but as Ron Lawrence. And you yeah. know that we have the same desires, which is to feel safe, to raise a family in a, in a comfortable environment, to have good schools, <clears throat> and we're just people too. So, so we should maybe start, stop uh, uh, calling 911 and just call Ron. <laughs> we can change it on the, on, on the thing. Nope, so that's, that's, that's interesting. So you know, I hear this term community policing a lot. But I mean, in your words, what, what does it mean? What is community policing? Well, it comes back to that trust. It comes back to, you know, and it, it, at the core, there's a term that um, I've really grown to not like, and that's law enforcement. Law enforcement is not what we do. Law enforcement's a piece of what we do. Yes, we enforce the law. But when you read the penal code, the California penal code, we're called peace officers. We keep the peace. And there's a whole slew of different ways to keep the peace. Sometimes you have to make an arrest, but not always. We can resolve problems uh, in a, a variety of different ways. Sometimes we have to write a, t a citation, uh, but not always. And so we have, to, we have to create a team that has the discretion and the, uh, the motivation to be creative in how we keep the peace, because that's what we are, we're peace officers. And when we have a neighborhood dispute, or we are dealing with somebody who's under the influence of drugs, or we're dealing with somebody that's suffering from a mental health crisis, there's different ways that we can handle those situations safely, appropriately, and with empathy. Uh, and I think that when I think about my profession, uh, we're really in a, a period of time where we're exploring what all of those are. There's some yeah. great practices out there, but of course we're always getting better. Yeah, I want to. We'll talk more about that in a second. But you know, this is the longest Chief Stefano has ever been here without saying something. So, <laughs> so I feel like I, we we have to we have to give him his his day in court. You know, so so Chief, it's great to have you here. Now you started with the city of Costa Mesa in 2013, correct? Correct. Yeah, and, and thanks for thanks for having us both. It's oh, a, sure. This is Are a great opportunity. It's my, my pleasure. It's an honor to have both of you here. And let's be clear, go Dodgers. Yes. So there's no question about that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't but, have to ask you that question. <laughs> but uh, so you, so you, and you're <clears throat> a, a, unlike you didn't grow up on a rice farm. You're a local. You're a local boy. So yeah, tell us about tell us about being a local boy, and rising to this level of chief. Sure, sure, and, and I love hearing that about the, the rice piece. I, I wouldn't have, have picked that, but. Uh, 
Yeah, no, it, <clears throat> I think everyone's got a story and, and uh, close to Councilmember Gamero's story in terms of coming. I, I came here at four. I'm, I'm from a real tight family. I'm the youngest of three brothers, two years apart. And so my parents got divorced when we were four, six, and eight. Born up in Glendale, up in the Burbank area. And so mom brought the three boys here. And so I've been here since age four, part of the Newport Mesa Unified School District system. And just, uh, you know, fortunate to be here. It's an incredible place. Uh, but so I, I've, yeah, I've been here my whole life. Played little league on the fields. You know, here T-Winkle was, was Harbor Area Baseball. That was it. We used to go pick our uni uniforms up at uh, Davis Field. Did you have to wear the jeans? You know, the, the, no, the, no, you, they no had we the had the white. The, we, we had the white, you know, the everything I, that's there. I yeah. see these pictures from uh, Newport Harbor Area Baseball, and they're like wearing T-shirts and yeah. jeans and stuff like that. Of course, now they're all decked out. Yeah. We had tough skins, though. Tough skins were, were a favorite on the, on the pants. What so. was your uh, position <clears throat> you played in baseball? So baseball, I was, you play everything, right? Utility going through, but catcher was primary. Wow. One of the primary places uh, that, uh, and I love playing it because you're touching the ball every single time you're in the game. Yeah. Yeah, so. I used to have a kid on my team, uh, and his mom complained and said uh, she wanted, uh, you know, I coached all those years. She says, uh, Brandon is a really good shortstop, and, uh, and can you play him at shortstop? And I said, Brandon is the best player on our team. He'll play where the ball is. <laughs> and I was like, he's our pitcher, and then he's not our pitcher, he's our catcher, that's it. Did you ever pitch? <clears throat> I did, I, I did, uh, and I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I probably wasn't the best pitcher uh, that was out there, but I, yeah, I love doing it, I love just playing. Yeah. yeah. As far as that goes, but yeah. And then you actually, uh, you were telling me that you played <clears throat> football in, at OCC. Yeah, played football, uh, and again, a product of, of the school system here. Played football at, at OCC, and a lot of friends from, from the school, from the high schools around here, Estancia, Costa Mesa, Newport Harbor. I went to Coronel Mar, go Sea Kings. Um, but a lot of friends, you know, that were still together. We played together at, at Orange Coast College. I was defensive end, um, and just, you know, had a great time. And, and at, at that time, it was, uh, we had a great team. Um, but uh, yeah, enjoyed every aspect of, of, of that piece of it. And you've got, um, you told me you've got two brothers and they're older brothers. So were they always really supportive or did they like give you noogies and stuff like that? I mean, what, we, what, we, what, uh, what was your relationship <laughs> with your brother? We're, we're extremely, we've always been extremely tight. And, uh, and through the years, yeah, there's no question. A, a lot of, uh, and mind you, my mom was a single mom. You know, parents are split. We were close with, with my dad. We would see my dad regularly, very close with our grandparents. But it was mom, single mom, raising three boys, and we were quite rambunctious. Uh, we fought a lot. We, we got into a lot of trouble, you know, good trouble. But uh, we were always engaged in sports. But part of that, as being the youngest brother, you took a lot of licks along the way. Sure. And from, from different friends. But as time goes on and it elevates and things start evening out, um, you know, things come around. I think, you know, quite frankly, I think it's what makes, you know, for me, it's really what, what grounded me and made me who I am today. A lot of those different things as time goes on and we still joke around about it and we still uh, enjoy each other. We still banter. Um, and I think that's really what drew me into the fire service ultimately because the fire service uh, really are all the things that, you know, my life was all about, family, team, always working together in a group, you know, good food, got a good food, <laughs> breaking bread in a table like this. Yeah. And so all those different elements for me, ultimately it was just this, when I finally did line up and say, Hey, this is the route I'm going, this is the career for me. 
all those things just came into alignment. And it was like, that's everything I could want, you know, as, as far as a career and helping people. And as Chief Lawrence said, you, you hit that point where you realize all those things come into alignment and having an impact to, to help people, so. So when you, um, when you first were, became a firefighter, and because you come from a family that makes great Italian food, <laughs> so were you assigned to make the food on your shifts for like your whatever pasta? And, oh and yeah. Like so that? so a big part. What, of the, what was your specialty that you made? So I, so I had a lot of uh, different specialties, but uh, I, I, my chicken pesto pasta is is uh, probably one one of the favorites. But you know, in the firehouse, you come in, especially a new firefighter on probation. You know, you've got a year on probation. You've got to have the technical aspects that are in place. You've got to have the ability to do all the other jobs around the firehouse, which is the way we live as a family. So whether you're scrubbing toilets or whether you're taking care of maintenance on the apparatus, you do everything. Uh, cooking is one of those elements as well, but it is so important that you know, you quite, quite quickly, you better have a few meals that are unique, flavorful, nutritious, all those different elements, and that the crews like. And uh, so that is a, a very important element. So everyone generally is a, a fairly, fairly good cook, and you've got to elevate that to becoming, you know, basically going from good to great as far as cooks go. So our firehouses, um, I think just about everyone knows how to cook. And if you don't know how to cook, uh, you'll definitely get scooted out and we'll find another uh, area for you. But yeah. everyone in the firehouse has a specialty or specialties, so yeah. Is that part of the firefighters' <clears throat> reviews? Do you say you gotta, oh, that's, uh, you gotta cook? <laughs> well, it's changed a little bit, but literally in an oral interview, that was one, that was one of the questions in one of the cities you know, that you test for. Tell us about one of your meals, walk us through it. And you'd have people go, I, I can make spaghetti, or you know, you know real quickly of the people who don't really have any right. um, experience cooking. And those are life skills that are important that you bring um, to the table. But yeah, that- uh, Literally. Literally. To the to table. The table. So, so, so the ones that don't cook become police officers? Well, I, I, was <laughs> I was gonna, gonna say that. <laughs> well, well, no, we were talking earlier, and, and it's funny because uh, Chief Lawrence and I do have one thing that's so uncommon, and it's the fact that we both wanted to be firefighters. <laughs> because, you know, firefighters need heroes too. That's why, you know, we, we have police officers now. <laughs> so, so how do you, so I want to get back in, and, and I, I want to find out one bit of information about cooking in a second. But tell me, how, how do you two work together? Or in general, I know you've just been working together for a month, but in general, how do you work with the police chief? How do you work with the fire, the fire chief in your uh, jurisdictions? And, and you know, how do you expect to work together here in the city of Costa Mesa going forward? Well, I've been really fortunate in my career. <clears throat> I've had fire chiefs that I've worked with, colleagues such as Steve, Chief Stefano, who uh, really, uh, it's a collaborative effort. So we hear, you hear stories or you see TV shows where police and fire, they don't, don't always get along, and maybe that's true, but I've not experienced that. I've been fortunate my entire career, um, police and fire, we have different roles, but the roles are very similar. And if we stay in sync with that, uh, it, it works out just fine. And we have shared resources that we share. And the bottom line is, and I know Chief Stefano feels this way too, um, our objective, our role is to keep this community safe. And we're gonna do that. And sometimes it's a police call, sometimes it's a fire call, but whatever the resources that are needed for that emergency, that's where what the end game is. And uh, particularly when it comes to a disaster or a large-scale emergency, uh, that's when we really work well together. Um, but we, we have different roles that are very similar, and I think that's the best way to put it. So when you go out on a call, like let's say there's a, a, 
it could be anything, but let's say there's a car accident and it has certain, and, and both, both departments respond. And f fire might respond because there's a jaws of life issue or a fire and, and police might respond because there's some liability or some law enforcement aspect of it. So who, how do you decide who's primary on the scene? Well, life safety is always first. If there's a life-saving <clears throat> effort that's underway, that is always primary. Whoever's there first is going to start that life-saving effort. Uh, the fire service, obviously, they, these are our rescue and paramedic personnel, so they're the experts in that area. So if we're there first, when they arrive, they would take over the life-saving efforts because that's what they do best. Uh, and, um, but often, they're there first. Past that, the police role then in an, in an accident, for example, would be to investigate what happened. Uh, but they're primary on life safety at that point. And I, th I think the, the, the important piece with that is what Chief Lawrence said. It, it's about the relationships in advance. It's about getting together and, and talking, hot washing calls after the fact, you know, lessons learned after the fact on different calls that we run on, but on, on something like that, that's exactly it. And so, you know, and we're both fortunate because both of our agencies, the professional men and women that serve in Costa Mesa truly are the best. Uh, and, and I mean, we're so fortunate that we do get along. There are agencies that, that don't get along um, in California, outside of California, and that causes problems because you can have that, that personal piece that's there. But also on calls, you'll have situations like a basic vehicle accident, and I've seen it where there's actually confrontation about who's controlling the incident, who's managing it, egos are involved. We're fortunate that that's not the case, but basically we work together and different aspects of each call requires you know, a, an element of uh, peace officers, uh, our, our police partners, to be in, in tune, and some portions of it require us. On the larger incidents, we'll go into what's called a unified command. So we'll have two of the lead officers on scene work together, and as they're making direction, they're working together as they make calls for resources or putting people in the right place, and that's really what it is, getting the right people working the right part of the incident so we can effectively manage it. Life safety is the first priority, and then every other thing that falls into place from there as we get into making sure the environment's squared away, property squared away, those other elements. That's great. I mean, so we were, uh, uh, we were all together a couple weeks ago on uh, Monday. I can't remember what day it was, but we were doing our strategic planning. All four of us were there, and of course many others were there too. And, <clears throat> and we developed a, a series of kind of core principles for the city and one of them was collaboration and it sounds to me like that's really what you're talking about is hitting that uh, uh, core principle and it's interesting how that collaboration or teamwork just kind of cuts through as a thread not just in city council and, and city management but also all the way down to a scene that you might come up 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 across so that's interesting so anyway I want to make sure uh, you get a chance to tell your story. So, you didn't you didn't grow up you didn't grow up on a rice farm. You grew up locally. You played defensive end. Um, so, one thing I want to cover is your your father and I have something in common because your father was the mayor of Burbank. What was that like being? I, I, maybe my kids will be asked that question yeah. someday. What was it like to be the son of the mayor? Well, we were a lot younger uh, than, yes. than your kid just to, from that place, but we were. Um, and I was so young, I just remember, you know, there's pictures of campaign signs of the three brothers holding signs and, you know, all those different things, walking districts. Um, so that piece, you know, I, I recall that, you know, my parents, you know, um, got divorced, so they split ways, but we still were very close. 
uh, with that. So w when we would go and visit, because it was an hour away, we would see him regularly, you know, throughout the course of a month. Um, and, and you would ask me, hey, did you ever see, because it was Burbank, it was, it was located with uh, Disney and, and NBC. You know, did you Johnny ever, Carson. Johnny yeah. Carson, all those things. So there were things throughout, you know, our childhood that we didn't really realize, but we just took, you know, took, hey, this is so-and-so, or, oh, yeah, this, this per, you know, one of the friends was on Little House on the Prairie, or, you know, different things that, I, you know, okay. I, I didn't think much of it, but as time went on and we got a little older, I realized, like, we would go up one weekend, and all of a sudden we were thrown in to be extras in a Flip Wilson, you know, show. So there were things like that at the time that I didn't even think about it until we got older. So... That was quite the experience. I think it was as, as life goes on, you have a greater appreciation for, for those pieces. And uh, my father passed away last year, but throughout the later years of his life, he, he, was, he was so passionate because he was mayor, he was involved in politics, but had stepped away and did a lot of work from behind the scenes. And he used to always say it was the best decision. He was an attorney by trade, but uh, by occupation, but he always said that was the best thing he ever did was working it from the backside because you know all the different challenges you know, and I think he loved the, the interaction, but there's stories of, of us being a kid during campaign time, and, and I think it was back in the day when things were done pretty aggressively, but people coming to the house, three little kids, tying the door, um, putting different types of, you know, explosive devices in front. Wow. And, and he, you know, in he's, Burbank? In Burbank. I never thought Burbank was that hardcore. Oh, oh it, I mean, and that's the thing, things like that. Now, granted, with three boys as we got older, you know, there was, you know, I won't say there's paybacks for those different things yeah, that take right. place. But, but you realize basically that you're in that public uh, arena and you're going to have people that take shots at you. It's just the nature of it. And so you have to have a certain level of thick skin, and the, the, and which you both realize. But the sure. end goal is doing what you can for the community and, and having, and that, you know, I was able to learn things through life like that. of realized that, hey, you're going to have to do things. I learned from both my parents. Um, you've got to do things that are challenging. You're going to take hits along the way. Water off a duck's back. You know, yeah. you, you've got to be able to move on and, and not let it hold you down. And so, both my mother and father just, you know, that was instilled in us. Came from the grandparents. Hard work ethic, but all those different things. I would say, not just learning from his experiences, but even my mom. Like I said, uh, I think I shared with you. She worked three jobs. We were here, you know, in the area. She worked three jobs to make sure that we. And she always cooked meals. She would come back. We, we had full meals breaking bread at the table like this. So right, right. great, great stuff. So a lot of lessons, but yeah, a lot of perspective that come to play now a little bit, the unique politics of Costa Mesa. Sure. For me, since my arrival, there were- Nobody the, is tying any explosive devices <laughs> to our doors, though, right? Not that I know right? of, So no, it's good. Not yet. So, 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 Don't so, give so, anybody any ideas. So, maybe, maybe we should cut that part out of it. <laughs> Anything can be cut, but, but all those things, I think, all those experiences help in the current environment that we're in now. I mean, it's perspective. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's been something for me. So that, how did it come about though that, so we, we heard from Chief Lawrence, so you're playing defensive end, you're at, at, at OCC, and, and so what, how did it come about that you ended up being a firefighter? Uh, great question. So I, I was at OCC having a great time, and the decision came, hey, am I gonna go on and continue to play football? Uh, you know what was going to be next. And I, I saw a lot of my friends that were going off to four-year colleges and starting to get into different careers. And kind of the pathway was, well, you, you, know, you go to college, you get a degree, and you go to work. Mm. And so uh, while I enjoyed that, I thought that was the, the kind of the pathway. And so uh, I ended up um, going to USC. I uh, was accepted into USC and went to school there, got involved in um, social activities, part of a fraternity, 
I was working in a law firm downtown, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, but enjoying every aspect of college. And sure, especially the fraternity. Especially the fraternity piece. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, John Lewis, police chief from uh, uh, Long Beach, he and I are fraternity brothers. Oh, he, wow. He, he went to Long Beach, but fraternity brothers. So yeah, that's stay. great. Interesting side note. Sure. But so what I, fraternity? Uh, Sigma Chi. Sigma Chi. Sigma okay, Chi. good. And, uh, and uh, yeah, good point. And so from there, uh, still trying to figure things out. I stepped away to figure out, hey, what, what's the best route for me from school? So I, I took a little time. It wasn't at the time; it wasn't a gap year. It was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Sure. I almost went and played football at San Francisco State in that time, and then ultimately, it was, hey, I need to just take care of business, get my college education completed, and figure out what that pathway was. And so for what, me, what and what did you major in? So public administration and communications, okay. where, where I was, I was hitting on the path. So I, I went to Long Beach State, finished Long Beach State. You know, did all all types of work from bartending to jackhammering to working uh, in a, an athletic club, but finished, and then went to work up in Los Angeles, and uh, and again doing sales work. You know, through some some contacts up there. And while I was doing that, it was about the time the economy was kind of doing some some interesting things with real estate. Real estate market went down, and while so this I, is like early '90s, early roughly. '90s, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so one of my brothers. Uh, uh, both very successful. One was in commercial real estate and lumber brokerage, and so the market took a dive. He got involved in the fire service. We had a, a, an uncle that was a fire captain in Provo, Utah, and so we, we knew about it, but it was still it wasn't like the fire service was you know similar to Chief Lawrence. It wasn't like it was on the table. He got into the fire service, my, my brother Robert, who's now a deputy chief in Orange, and he said, hey, you need to come check this out. This is everything that uh, you know that you're all about. You know, it's the team, everything that I shared earlier. Cooking, <laughs> cooking everything. team, family, all those things helping yes. others. And so I did a ride along and I said, sign me up. Well, yes. well, where do we go from here? And then realized there are more steps to it than just signing up and, hey, who, who do I interview with? And so he said, just go take your, take your first class. You know, it's one thing to do a ride along and say, hey, it's great. Take your first class. And then there's a pathway that you need to handle. So I, I took my first class at Santa Ana College, which is the regional Fire Academy and Fire Center. It was with Captain Randy Shear, Newport Beach, and it just from there it just elevated and and from there just the step by step the light just kept getting brighter and brighter and was like this is it this is yeah. the, the pathway. I, I, I was able to get my EMT certification. I worked in a hospital down in San Clemente, Samaritan at the time Samaritan Medical Center, volunteer EMT. I got a job on Seals Ambulance, which was a local ambulance company here in Costa Mesa based that ran 911 calls for Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, and Found Valley. And then, and, and that's really the progression of, of getting more experience under your belt. So I, I went from Los Angeles, you know, you know, what I felt was starting to make some money, came back and moved into a studio with three uh, guys, you know, um, Jammed in there. all that were firefighters, but you know, but it was like, it didn't matter because everyone's schedule was different. Sure. Got hired in Laguna Beach as a reserve firefighter, was working on the ambulance, uh, working other jobs, and then had the opportunity to get hired full time after testing up and down the state. And so, and so then you were in Laguna Beach. When did you get hired in Laguna Beach? What so year? Laguna Beach, 1995, as a reserve firefighter, 95. and then full time uh, 1997 as a full time firefighter. And so 95, and then until, and then you were at Laguna Beach all the way up until the time that you, um, that the, you you came to Costa Mesa as the chief. Yeah, and, and in that time too, I worked on, with Huntington, the Huntington Beach Fire Department on their, in their ambulance program and at the Orange County Fire Authority in Westminster, Little Saigon. 
on both of their, you know, their uh, ambulance transports, which translates to what we do now because it feeds right into what to what we're doing. So those were the other departments. But yeah, exactly. So so how is it different? Uh, c compare uh, as a, I, so what was your what was your last your high, like highest rank at Laguna Beach when you, when uh, you division up? chief? You were division chief. So yeah. like same like Jason Pyle here. So that yeah, basic, so, basic ba basic job. So. Can you compare uh, Laguna Beach to Costa Mesa in terms of, of their of you know your job as a as a chief sure. or a division chief? Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you the you know we, we talk about <clears throat> the fire service. There's a lot of different personalities, but it's the same culture uh, overall. But each department has their own unique flavor, their own unique approach. But I'll tell you right now, the politics totally different. Yes, I, I mean completely a whole different world. Um, but in terms of, of the department, the, the people are very similar in terms of that I work with. Incredible people down there. I mean, I'm still close with, with a lot of them. And, and, uh, but very similar, smaller department, um, but we touched everything, you know, as far as Laguna Beach goes, because we have urban interface, we've got water rescue, cliff rescue, um, all the different elements that, that are involved there. So yeah, you have the coastal piece. All you know. the, the, the coastal piece. So those guys are probably fully engaged or, or are or were in this oil spill issue, whereas we're not really as connected to the, yeah, to more the of a oil support, spill. We're more of a support piece now, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I think as far as that goes, that would probably be, um, you, you know, a, 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 in terms of similarities, the people, very, very similar. In terms of, of what, you, what you're covering, we don't have a coast to cover, we support the coast. Right. Um, there's not really high rises in Laguna Beach, so there's we've got high rises here in the city. So there's some changes there. Good we, point. We've got intersection of the freeways here that, that you know impact both uh, police and fire. South Coast Plaza, for example. South Coast Plaza, huge. I mean, the the, the gem of, of Costa Mesa and, and that whole element. Um, so I think th those are things that are different, but it comes back to, and Chief Lawrence said it, um, what brought me to Costa Mesa was the people. I came at a time, it was probably one of the most challenging times in the city's history in terms of what was happening um, politically, but also for the, for the public safety element. Um, but I knew the people that were here. In the department? In the department, I knew the people. How did you know the, the people in the department? I mean, you're in Laguna Beach, you say you know the people in Costa Mesa, but how did you get to learn who, who they were, what they were about? I was I was fortunate, so one of the things that I was engaged in and I loved was, was training. Sure. And so we did a lot, we do a lot of regional training and so, in those opportunities and, and fire does a lot of things that cross over from city to city where we're interacting so much that we train a lot and so I had the opportunity to put together some some different drills but also just through the years because we have contact whether it's on a on a major incident or whether whether it's training but through all those experiences you know you you meet you interact um, you engage with like so on wildfires, for example. Wi do they wildfires. All go, do Laguna Beach goes out. Costa Mesa goes out, and, and, and we're all there. Together. And we actually, as Newport Coast was developing, we we had started to bring in this concept of doing more uh, interagency training. So we actually had, and I'll never forget, it was one of the last trainings that I ran. But I remember some of the individuals from Costa Mesa, Newport, Huntington that were all there, um, and these are you know some of the best in the business and, and uh, I just saw the looks on their faces and, and the feeling they carried with them. It was a challenging time for, for public safety and for th these guys that I had known my whole career, but you just saw them hurting. And it was mm -hmm. just, you know, it's, it, it was a bad time. Um, 
So what, so what, okay, mm -hmm. so then you take over, it was a challenging time in 2013, and I'm gonna get to you too, yeah. uh, <laughs> Lauren. That's okay. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You guys are doing sorry. just fine. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm digging, I'm digging in with the chief. I'll get back to this side of the table in a second, but I mean, so, so it's a challenging time. It's 2013, here we are in 2021. I think I got the year right, at least. If I can't get the month right, I get the year right. So, um, so how have how have things pivoted and changed and what has happened in the department and how, how have you kind of engineered that that change well i think well first of all i, I don't think it, i don't think it's ever you know someone engineering i think what it is it's you know we talked about getting the right people in the right places and collaborating and doing things together so where we were i mean it came in we had station six that was going to close you know i came through the door chief Station six is going to close. We're going to do all these different things, and again, all the intentions were, you know, wherever they might have been. And, and I, from my perspective, it was like, well, let's evaluate it. Let's see what what we need to do. Let's see what we can do. And we rallied up together as a group. We sat down uh, with every member of the department and dug into, um, because while it's one thing, like I said, I, I knew the guys. Yeah, I, I knew quite a, a few of them. But until you sit down at the table and you sit down and hear and listen to what they have going on. And so we dug into what, what were the needs that they felt. Um, obviously had spoken with the council on what they needed, uh, had spoken obviously with the city leadership team <clears throat> and all those different elements, but we saw the pathway, we established a pathway that meant something to all of us. It wasn't me coming in saying, we're doing this. And then you incorporate that into where we wanna be. And so with that, we, we established a five-year strategic plan for the department and in that a lot of different objectives. And so. The, we completed that five-year strategic plan this this past year, and so we've accomplished a lot. So what we what done, were like some of the pillars? I know, I mean, on the last five mm -hmm. years, at least from from me looking from uh, council and and previously as a resident, is we have a new fire station one that had to be part of the five-year plan. We have the ambulance transport model, which is a smashing success. What were some of the other aspects of the and of, and we still have. Uh, by the grace of God, station six, and also yeah. the council voted to keep station yeah, no, six. And, 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 what are some <laughs> of the other parts of the five-year plan? Yeah. Just a couple, a couple. Sure, I, and I'll, the station six was a big one. I, I mean, I'll tell you that, and, and that's one of those things. The council made a decision to go that route, and there were a lot of different hands on that. But ultimately, those are those are huge policy issues, but they have huge impacts. But but that and for and for the listeners who might not know where station six is, station six is the station on Sakioka which basically takes care of Lawrence District. Yeah. Councilmember Gomez's it's, it's, uh, it's in yeah, it's in district 2 and and it and it uh, takes care of the Santa Ana border and South Coast Plaza and my office and a lot of your constituents, Laura. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I actually had a chance to visit uh, station 6 for 9/11. Uh, it was a great opportunity. So tell us about what you do now. Okay, so I didn't ask you that question. I'm in construction. I dig holes. So what I do is I actually work for an apprenticeship and we try to bring individuals in that wanna come into construction and try and begin a career for them. Um, and my job, I'm a coordinator. So as a coordinator, I'm kinda like a liaison between the employer and um, they go through the college. They're all, all the college, all the school they go through is college accredited. So what I do is I provide kind of a link between the college and the employer. So if you can't get to work on time, I come and step in. If you can't get your schoolwork done and you can't get to school, I come and step in because the whole point of it is you have three to four years to get through 
a 6,000 hour program. If you get through this program, now you're a journey person and you can make a great livable wage. Yeah, that's great. So I know you're working with the city staff on bringing a pre-apprenticeship program to the city of Costa Mesa. So what's your vision there? What, how, what would that entail? Well, the Department of Labor recognizes pre-apprenticeships. So what we would like to do is bring opportunity through a pre-apprenticeship, and it's not just in construction. It could be in a fire department. It could be a peace officer. It could be a number of opportunities. But a pre-apprenticeship would help offer career guidance for those of us you know, not everyone's going to go and graduate from college. That right. may be not be your forte. Maybe you're going to be a boots on the ground kind of person. And maybe that's what you want to do. Um, what, I, what I try to target is bringing individuals in that maybe wouldn't fit the typical model for a type of work like, for instance, construction, and I'm sure other trades as well that are similar are male-dominated. So what I do is I work really hard to try and bring females into this program. I was a product of a, um, a single parent. Um, my, my mom was single, so I was a, a product of that. So I know how hard the struggle is as a single parent raising someone. So I really have a heartfelt interest in providing opportunities for those parents that, you know, maybe they're trying to raise one or two or, or three children. And let's face it, if you're not making a good wage, it's impossible to do. Right. Um, so, so my role in this, as far as a pre-apprenticeship goes, is to bring opportunity for those who maybe wouldn't have it or wouldn't know about it. And we have sectors within our community that I think that would be really advantageous for. Um, I know that we have a lot of role models in our community that would be willing to step up and help. I know that the Department of Labor um, offers programs. Uh, we have one right now we're looking at called a Youth Build Program. I think it starts at 16 and it goes to 24 years old. So if we can get a youth build program together and we can offer opportunities, you know, um, in construction, the building trades, maybe that's not for you. Maybe you're looking to do something as a peace officer or a fire, you know, you want to be a fireman or something like that. There's opportunities there for you. And if you are looking to college, you know, we already have a program. We have SOI. Save Our Youth is already in place and they provide opportunities for those who want to go. And, we're, and get into we just did that MOU just recently, just kind of really um, uh, double down on our partnership with SOI. Because, so SOI is Save Our Youth, Chief. I don't know if you had a chance to really look into that, but that's on the west side. And it's been there for a long time at Ray School. And uh, it's a great organization. And, but what, what had happened was there were so many aspects of soy and the city that were kind of overlapping that what we decided to do is, is kind of eliminate some of those redundancies and have the city enter into an MOU and kind of work together so we could more efficiently provide that program. But I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this, Chief, because you hear Councilmember Gamaros, Lauren, talk about these pre-apprenticeship programs. You were at our meeting the other night when we did a resolution about early uh, childhood development and our Costa Mesa Early Childhood Coalition. Um, what do you think about the effect of those um, programs on public safety and kind of elevating the, you know, the opportunities and the upbringing and, uh, of the kids and how, how, how does that make our community more safe from your perspective, those, if, if it does? Those type of programs really are invaluable because they're upstream from what happens later in life. You know, when you think about a child and 
in their, their development years and they're learning about life and experimenting with, uh, you know, where the borderline is with, the, with regards to the, the rules or society's expectations. Like, like Councilmember Gamaros, for example. Very similar, yes. Yeah. Uh, and those programs really help create a framework with which kids to, to kind of grow into and understand what, uh, where the parameters are. And what I mean by upstream is that those programs offer uh, an ability for kids to try things, stay within the lanes, play uh, safely, learn roles, learn skills that are going to prevent them from downstream uh, that are going to fall into things like gangs or drugs or weapons, you know, illegal activity where now they're interfacing with the police uh, because they didn't have those life skills early on. So the more the life skills that we, those programs that we can build in that help youth, uh, to, especially in the formative years, tremendous value to our community in the future. Uh, you might not even see it immediately, but 10, 20, 30 years from now, that's going to play a huge role in what Costa Mesa looks like. I, I, I'd even say, uh, you know, for fire back in the day, probably the individuals that, that you had met early on, most of the individuals getting into the fire service were all the trades. And then there was a shift and it became, oh, we need to, you know, we got into paramedicine, we got into urban search and rescue, all technical skill sets that are more of a vocational piece. And then it was education, and that was one place for the fire service to catch up with, with police, the police department, really, in, in understanding the, the value of having education. So now we're at a point where we need to get that balance back. And the value of the trades and what we do is so, so important. And so that piece and that next is we've got a joint apprenticeship uh, program statewide that's run through CPF, that uh, are the Jack program, but those skills are life skills, and those skills, you know, whether it's, it's a chosen career at the end of the day, those life skills are so so valuable. And, and what we've seen in the fire services that's been lacking over the course of the last decade or so, just because of the transition and the push to education. So, but it's now coming back, and that's why programs like this are so important. And the other piece that you shared, which I thought was great, that desire and effort to engage in getting females into the, those opportunities that are out there because that's a, it's such an important piece and something that's been missing and so we're engaged in it and I know Chief Lawrence as well in all the, all the professions that are out there but I, I appreciate your engagement in that and would love to I'm sure we could partner on something as well with that. So. It's so important because one thing people don't think about is really mothers and fathers are role models. As children you look up to your mom you look up to your dad and if you're a product of a single parent, your role model is gonna be the dominating parent that you're with, and let's face it, nine times out of 10, it's your mom. So if you look at your mom, and I know people that have said, you know, they, they've came to me later, because uh, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now. They've came to me later and say, you know, I wanna tell you, um, do you remember my mom? And I'm like, oh yeah, I remember your mom. And, well, I was, my, my parents were divorced, and my mom was a role model, and it was because of you I decided to enter into this program because my mom was able to provide a life for us that we would have never had if it wasn't for an entry into a program like this where she could make a livable wage and she could be able to support us at home, bringing food home, bringing you know, a place to live, have a decent car, have food, have new shoes. These are things that a lot of us take for granted, but there's a lot of people out there um, uh, food, food anxiety, they sure. call it, or? Food insecurity. Food insecurity. And you know, housing insecurity. That, that's really, really common. And, and if, if you're in this bubble and you've never experienced it, how would you know? And when I go out, I do a lot of job fairs, and I go to talk to people in a lot of different communities. I go to Inglewood, where there's a lot of underserved. If you go to talk to someone like them about being a police officer or a fireman, 
that's an impossibility. They, it, they, they have no idea. They think only certain people get in. You have to know someone. And I've even engaged with people in the community here locally, and, and it's the same thought. They don't know how to get into a union. They don't know how to get into some sort of a program. They think you have to know. There's this, No, actually, I tell them. It's available here. It's a pathway, and that's what we need to do. We need to work on creating pathways for our youth to have entry into livable wages so that they can provide what our parents provided for us. Well, so you just made me think about something. So last Saturday, I gave the commencement speech at the Pacific College graduation. And Pacific College, as you, you may know, is on Red Hill, and it's a nursing school. It's been there for 28 years. You know, most people don't know about it, but they graduated 200 uh, students. And so I'm up there on the stage, and, and the woman next to me turns and says, um, most of these students, they're the first one in their in their family that's graduated from college or gotten a degree and i mean and they're, that's they're going into healthcare that's a whole another uh, a whole whole another calling which is a terrific calling it was a real honor to be there talking to them but you're on the right track you know because i think that the if you look at the uh, the issue that we have in costa mesa that is a, a a very difficult issue that uh, cuts through all of the stuff we do, especially the police department and their response is kind of economic justice and the fact that we have too many people that are living, you know, that are food insecure, housing insecure, who are living below the poverty line. We have 47% of the people who reside in Costa Mesa are low, very low, or extremely low in terms of their income level. Um, there are 25 percent of the people in Costa Mesa spend fifty percent of their income or more on housing. Think about that. And then another ten percent is forty percent uh, 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 on housing. So we, the, you're you're like hitting it right on the head in terms of raising that level of income, addressing, you know, housing, which we're trying to do in, in much different ways. And then that takes some of the pressure off, and and it, and it it creates a more peaceful place. Right, and one other thing about programs, vocational programs like that, I think about our Police Explore program, and I'm sure there's a similar one in the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, kids may not necessarily end up in that vocation, but what it, what it gives them is skills to communicate, skills to think critically, th skills to, um, to be able to reason, and uh, it, it provides a, a level of leadership, if you will, and a pathway, maybe not to that particular vocation, but it will be to a vocation, and it, and it kind of prov provides that level of uh, growth and, and uh, maturity that our kids need. So I have this one question I've been dying to ask you, you, you both the chiefs, is tell us about, you know, you, you've been through a lot of hairy stuff, both in, in, as a firefighter and as a police officer and then as a chief. But as a chief, what's the most difficult uh, challenge or uh, that you've had to address or deal with uh, as a chief, it, you know, obviously in Rockland and, and Citrus Heights, but um, at least as far as I know. Yeah. But but what what do you think is the is the um, the most challenging thing that you've had to deal with as a chief? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things. When I think back on being a police chief for a little more than 10 years now, I mean, you've always got budget issues. Sometimes there's personnel <laughs> issues. Sometimes there's hiring, recruitment, retention issues. There's always certain challenges, but if I, to answer your question, what's the biggest one I've had to deal with as a police chief? 
in my profession right now, we've, we've had a, a couple of years now of just anti-police uh, narrative throughout the nation. Uh, there's been some tragic incidents that happened. Uh, in the United States, there's over 18,000 law enforcement agencies. But what happens is people don't perceive that. They perceive the police is the police is the police. So Chicago, New York, LA, Costa Mesa, it's the police. But that's not really the truth. The truth is every local community that has a police department is uniquely different. I'm your police chief. I'm responsible to you. I'm responsible to you, to you. I'm responsible to our community. And if I'm not doing my job, I lose my job. And the reality is Costa Mesa has a desire to have a specific police department that's going to cater to the needs of our community. Um, we sh but unfortunately, the profession gets um, kind of categorized in this larger narrative. And so the biggest challenge for me, frankly, has been explaining and educating what we do at a local level. This isn't some other city back east. This isn't some other town that you've seen on the news. Uh, what we have to talk about is what's going on in Costa Mesa and how can we make our community the best. And talking up my troops because it's been a real challenge for police officers or dispatchers or anybody working in the policing profession to stay positive when there's so much negativity in the news or on social media. <coughs> um, that's been a real challenge and I've not seen that in 32 years except for the last two years. Chief, what can we do as a council or as a community to kind of buoy the spirits of our uh, police officers so that they know that uh, we appreciate them and uh, they feel, feel better in spite of all the negativity that you see in the media. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the simplest things go a long way. You don't need to buy us lunch. You don't need to pay anything, uh, give us any gifts. Just the simple thank you. When you see a police officer and you say thank you for what you do, that goes a lot further than people might realize in that level of support, knowing that I'm in Costa Mesa and the residents, the businesses of Costa Mesa support their local police. That's huge. Uh, it, it goes a long way with our, with our staff. Well, good. And I hope our listeners take that to heart and, uh, because the, the department really needs that right now. Okay. So, okay, Chief, the most challenging thing that you've had to deal with as a chief? Uh, well, I'll, I'll say um, I think there's a lot of different challenges both you know the technical aspects of, of being a firefighter but as a chief uh, I look at a number of things one there's challenges that you you know somewhat step into you know they're there so the challenge of, of coming here was a significant challenge with what was going on at the time COVID and, and we're still managing uh, all the ramifications of COVID um, that piece and, and and to add on to that piece about our brothers and sisters in blue the other the mental and behavioral health issues that have come over that element and with COVID have just been exacerbated. And, and our folks have been on the front line since day one. And I know a lot of different folks have been out there in healthcare and the hospitals, um, but the toll that it's taken on, on everyone, you know, I, across the world, right. but our folks, and, and they've continued to do just a, a great job, professional job with all those other elements. And so, so managing that I think is a challenge. So I don't know if there's necessarily one, but, but definitely have had a, a few that come to mind, but, but certainly within the department, um, the, uh, the death of Fire Captain Mike Kreza yeah. is, is one that, uh, you know, you would hope that no one would have to face or go through it as a group, as a family. And so when he was killed, um, which will be three years now, he was killed off duty. Um, it was probably one of the most impactful things that any of us will ever experience. Uh, in our entire lives. And so I think going through that 
challenge, you know, as, and again, we went through it together. We went through it together as a city, as a community, but, but as a fire department, it was, and still is, raw in a lot of ways. The individual that killed him uh, was convicted of murder. Um, right. Uh, you know, just recently. Just recently through the courts. And, and so I think that the, that whole element, you think about all the, all the different things that come off of that experience. Someone who was loved within the department, it, you have different ways to go with it. It can tear you up as, as a department or it can bring it together. And so we collectively decided that you know, we, we, we were going to do it together. We were going to just tie in, circle up, circle around Mike's family. But our, our firefighter, our fire family has just embraced them. Um, and she's allowed that, Shanna has allowed that. And so yeah. we've done that from day one. We've committed that we're gonna be there. So working through that is a challenge. Um, and again, there's, there are days that are, that are better than others, um, but what she is going through with her daughters and every day, and she's, she's just turned into, you know, every day she becomes stronger and stronger. She's just such a, a great um, a source for everyone. But we've got great support around the family, but that challenge doesn't ever go away. We'll, we'll, we'll continue to work through it, but, but what has carried us and has made us better, has made us stronger, has made us closer, um, probably the closest that we've ever been as a department was throughout that whole time frame. Um, and so the, the bright spot of that is it's helped all of us reflect on how we carry our lives out, the things right. that we carry through, and, and we're, we're thoughtful and thankful for the different things in our life. I have three daughters, three young yeah. daughters, and, and uh, you know, obviously impacts everyone differently, but, but giving, you know, it's easy to get caught up in all the different things we do in life. Sure. But putting perspective to, hey, this snapshot in time, you better have a lot of grace and appreciation and gratitude for all the things in life, so. Well, and for me looking at that, and I, I was on council when that happened, uh, that was in 2018. And I just gotta say that, um, you know, I had all the respect, I, I thought I could not respect you more at that time. But the way you stepped up to lead the department during that time and the sensitivity and the tenderness you showed with the family and with the, um, uh, the situation and the leadership, uh, the strength all together, you know, um, I, I can't, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just in total admiration of the way you handled that. And there's not a lot of people that could do that, Chief. We're so lucky to have these two chiefs I hope that the listeners and the viewers know that. We are the only city that has the, the president of the uh, uh, police association as our chief, police chiefs association, and the president of the fire chiefs association as our fire chief. These are two great, unique men who are gonna lead public safety into the future and it's just, Terrific to have you guys on the second episode of uh, Costa Mesa now. So is there anything, any parting shots, anything that you guys left on the table that you, 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 you think you need to, to talk about? We didn't talk about your kids. Are the kids going to be mad if you don't talk about the well, kids? I, I want to know where my invitation to the chicken pesto pasta is. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't received that, uh, so I'm looking forward to, to that dinner at some point. Yeah, okay, that sounds good. So I got a, one last question. Who, who is reputed to be the best cook in, I, this may be an unfair question to you, but maybe just give me a couple. Who are some of the best cooks in the department? Well, that, that, I won't say it's an unfair question, but it depends on the day and depends on the meal. 
Sun. What are some of like the epic meals? Um, well, I, th I think generally there's always there's always a good chili meal. But now that there's, I think the most interesting thing about the department is, uh, yeah, gosh, the fire service goes through all these trends with diets out there. So I, you see this range of different foods that come in. So you know the keto diet, we had the cabbage diet back in the day. You have all these different things. So it changes kind of the yeah. the dynamics of what you have. But um, I think there's a there's a lot of great chefs all the way around. I think what I see now, it's not a matter of being best. Everyone tries to one-up each other. So we, so we had gone out. We were actually at an event, South Coast Plaza uh, Metro event, and one of the newer firefighters w was in there. And so we were eating, and they had some type of very nice salad set up for everyone at, at the dinner. And so one of, one of the guys at the table said, hey, Mishka makes a pretty good Waldorf salad. Yeah. Oh, really? Waldorf salad. So, um, so those types of things where yeah. you have the special specialty where you can, and everyone tries to up the, you know, the, the other guy. So it's you not should do a cookbook. Oh yeah, no, and, the, and we're due for one. Yeah, and usually when something comes out cookbook-wise, so we are yeah. we are overdue for one. But everyone's got a good meal. Uh, I think there are a few that are certainly better than others, and the ones that are not good certainly get scooted out uh, quickly. Well, you Council. know they have a saying. Yeah. And I said this at uh, you guys had elected someone at Fire Station Six, the Sakioka Fire Station, who uh, he was a new recruit, he was probationary, and he was the one cooking. And I said, you know, they have a saying that goes along with chefs, and it's never trust a skinny chef. So. <laughs> That's fair. That's so. true. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for your participation. I thought it was fun. Thanks. And I hope the listeners and the viewers enjoy it. Thank you very much. That'll do it for Costa Mesa Now, Episode 2, Go Dodgers.